In the name of Jesus, the Lamb of God, amen. One of the few things, if not the only thing, I actually remember from my very first day at seminary, which was a long, long time ago, was walking into the chapel, which, by the way, was designed by the same guy who designed the terminal at Dulles Airport here in Washington. Hearing the organ music coming from the balcony, hearing the sound of the bell ringing out on the plaza, calling people to worship as it did every day. And there standing next to the altar in the chapel was this great big banner on which was the incoming seminary class verse of which I was a part. It was pale blue, had big black letters, and it simply said, God gave us the ministry of reconciliation from 2 Corinthians 5.18. And for some spiritual reason, those words just struck me as I walked into that chapel for the very first service on the very first day of a journey that would lead me to become a pastor. Although those words obviously are not just for pastors, therefore all the baptized ministers of this world, some of whom also happen to be ordained. And they also stuck with me because when I was installed as pastor here at St. Andrew, years later, but still long ago, those very same words and the verses that surrounded it were read at the very first service on the very first day of our partnership and ministry together. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. For if anyone is in Christ, they are new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And all of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself in Christ and who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Well, as we dig into this series of messages for Lent entitled Return and Receive, our topic today is renew as we think about what it means for our relationship with God and our relationships with each other to be renewed, that is to be made new again through a process and an experience known as reconciliation. Because I think we'll all agree that when our relationships are good and strong and healthy, including our relationship with God and our relationships with each other, then life is good, even if our circumstances might happen to be a little less than ideal. And if our relationships with each other and with God are strained, if they're distant, if they're damaged in, in some way, then life really isn't good, no matter how good our circumstances happen to be. And that's the point that St. Paul is making in his letter to the Corinthians, because the Corinthian church was a place where relationships had been damaged for a number of reasons that I've talked about recently. I'm not going to get into them again today. But suffice it to say that while God created us for closeness, we live in this fallen world and we are fallen people. And our nature so often is to be in conflict with each other. And so we have to work on the closeness, which is why this ministry of reconciliation is so vital to living as the new creations that God through St. Paul calls us to be. Of course, reconciliation means a lot of different things in the world today. In the world of accounting, for example, reconciliation has to do with bringing together two sets of records to make sure they match, they agree, they are reconciled with each other. In the United States Congress, reconciliation has to do with a process for passing certain kinds of legislation. In society, we talk about the continuing need for racial reconciliation in our nation and across the world. And in the Roman Catholic Church, when you go to confession, 
and you name your sins in front of your priest, it is called the sacrament of reconciliation, which has a much nicer ring than naming your sins. But whatever the application, the actual literal meaning of the word reconciliation is to renew or to restore a relationship. Conciliation or being conciliatory has to do with being friendly or literally a meeting with friendship. Conciliation. And when you add the prefix re, you get reconciliation or reconciliation or renewing and establishing a relationship and a friendship and a relationship based in love once again. But in case you haven't noticed, reconciliation can be very difficult. And the process leading to reconciliation can be painful, and it's often misunderstood, which is why I think there are a couple of important things to know about reconciliation in the context of our faith, as well as our relationships. One of which is that while some people think that reconciliation is more or less the same thing as forgiveness, that is not the case. And that's because forgiveness is different from reconciliation. Forgiveness is actually kind of a solo venture. It is a one-way street. Because I can forgive somebody whether or not they ask for it, whether or not they apologize, whether or not they even feel sorry for what they did to hurt or sin against me. See, that's exactly what Jesus did when he called out from the cross. And he said, Father, forgive them in reference to people who were still in the act of carrying out his execution. Stephen did the same thing in Acts chapter 7 when he was being stoned to death. And that's because forgiveness is a willful act of pardon, of release from the responsibility or, or from holding that sin against that other person who has hurt you. It is a willful act of dismissal, of freedom, of leaving it out of your hands and, and into the hands of God because the word forgive actually means to send away, to give it forward, to throw it out. And whether that person that you've forgiven lives a transformed and a renewed life as a result of it, that is another story. That is a, that's another sermon, in fact. And so uh, on an evening in June of 2015, a 21-year-old white supremacist took the lives of nine people, including the senior pastor of Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. Two days later, grieving family members went to his bond hearing and remarkably proclaimed their forgiveness to him. It was an amazing thing. And yet by all accounts, he sat there unaffected which is to say that while it may even bless the forgiver, forgiveness is not always received. It is fundamentally a solo venture. It is a one-way street. But reconciliation is a two-way street, which may include forgiveness, and it often does, but reconciliation actually goes beyond forgiveness and it restores or it renews that relationship. And so a couple can break up or get divorced 
and forgive each other for the things that broke up the relationship and yet still not get back together. Or maybe they experience a degree of reconciliation by becoming friends again or uh, forging a new relationship even though they don't go all the way back to the way it was before. On the other hand, I can tell you that I have presided at more than one wedding over the years for couples who were married, got divorced, and then remarried each other. And if that isn't reconciliation, I don't know what is. The point being that even if it doesn't work out quite that way, reconciliation is always a two-way street. It is a joint venture. And it only happens when both parties are willing to participate in the renewal. And that's why I think that at the end of the Montgomery, Alabama bus boycott back in 1955 and 1956, which you can go Google and read about it if you didn't learn about it in history class or you're too young to remember it, and was triggered by the courageous actions of a woman by the name of Rosa Parks, a local minister who was actually named after Martin Luther addressed his supporters and he reminded them that the purpose of this bus boycott that lasted about a year was not an end to segregation. Its purpose, he said, is reconciliation. It is redemption. It is the birthing and creation of a beloved community. It's a pretty powerful statement for a 27-year-old pastor by the name of Martin Luther King Jr., to which I would add the words of an interracial couple of co-authors who wrote a book called More Than Equals when Chris Price and the late Spencer Perkins said that the cause of racial reconciliation in this country needs more yoke fellows. In other words, people who are yoked together, they are joined together. And that's what these two guys called each other, yoke fellows. But they added, not just for the sake of justice and not for the sake of racial equality either, but rather they said, get this, for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ and its witness to the world. So that's what this is all about. That's what's at stake here when it comes to this and every other kind of reconciliation that includes forgiveness and also relationship based on the gospel for the glory of God. And so when I walked into the chapel that day for the first time at age 22 and saw that banner with 2 Corinthians 5.18 on it, I have to admit to you that I probably did not fully comprehend how difficult and, and sometimes painful the process of reconciliation could be. That came later. In fact, uh, we have an organization within our Lutheran denomination called Ambassadors of Reconciliation, which exists to help congregations uh, through times of conflict in their lives and their ministries. But what also came and actually grew stronger over the years was the realization that what makes this possible, what makes this easier, what makes this transforming and powerful and holy or what Paul says around the words that were on that banner that day, 
when he reminds the Corinthians, the, the members of this church that were torn apart by conflict and, and were so broken and, and so estranged from each other that at his cross, the Lamb of God reconciled every single one of them back to him. He made them new creations so that when we could not manage that two-way street in our wildest dreams, he made the journey for us on our behalf. He, in Paul's words, became sin for us. In other words, he took the place of a sinner in order to reestablish and renew the relationship with God that I damaged by my unfaithfulness to him and by sins that are just too many to even begin to count. And so, friends, the beginning of renewal happens when you realize that you have been made new in the first place by the blood of the lamb and the waters of your baptism. Reconciliation begins when you know that Jesus is your friend because he is the friend of sinners who wants to have a relationship with you. And being an ambassador of reconciliation, which Paul says in the, in the passage today, begins with knowing that we have been reconciled to Christ and then saying to yourself, wow, you know, if he did this for me, then I'm going to go out and I'm going to do this for him. And I'm going to look at people differently, no longer, longer from a worldly point of view, because if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. This is all from God who reconciled us to himself and who gave us the ministry of reconcilia reconciliation. And if that relationship is at the center of your life, if it's at the center of your relationships or even your part of a relationship, then you have the chance to show another human being being, in your actions or your words, in some way, shape, or form, that they too can have the most powerful, the most precious, the most life-affirming, life-transforming relationship in the world, and its power to heal the relationships in our lives through God's forgiveness and the ministry of reconciliation that he has committed to you and me. And so that's God's message that was on the banner that day. That's St. Paul's message to the people of Corinth. And now it's our message to each other, to this beloved community, to the whole family of God, and to people of every race and every nation and every age and every circumstance for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of reconciliation, and forgiveness, and renewal for the whole wide world in the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.